we are thinking today about the ancient words. I love the line because it talks about the ancient words are ever true. They're changing me and changing you. So let us come with open hearts and let the ancient words impart. My question is, are your hearts open to the ancient words? Are your hearts open to God's truth? You see, we live in a world that is increasingly under the deception that there is no such thing as absolute truth. That there can't possibly be one standard of truth for all people at all times in all situation. It's all relative, you see. It's all situational. Well, it depends. And my question for you is if ever you are asked by a college professor, there is no such thing as absolute truth. Uh, If you're ever told that by a college professor, a good question to ask is, are you, are you absolutely sure of that? You see, even as much as we try to deny truth, universal truth that applies to all people at all times, some people who would say that there is no truth, you make up your own truth. You even hear some people say, speak your truth. They try to get away from this idea that there's one universal standard of truth. For all people, at all places, at all times, it's the same for everyone. Those people who would vehemently deny the one truth, when they see something that they don't like, will say, that's fake news. You see, we have a a real problem, they would say, with fake news. This just isn't true. We we need some fact checkers to come in and dispute what's being said. You see, that's that sort of gives way to the idea that maybe there is truth. And our job is simply to find it. It's not a new problem, okay? It's not a new problem. The world has always been this way. Ever since the beginning, when God gave the first truth, the enemy was right there with Eve saying, Did God, did God really say Is that really what he wants? See, the ancient enemy is just as present as ever, trying to deceive us. All throughout the world, people have tried to live by their own truth. Even in Jesus' day, Jesus, at the very end of his life, right before he went to the cross, had a discussion with a man named Pontius Pilate. Uh, I want you to turn there and let's let's look in, peer inside this Interesting discussion in John chapter 18. John chapter 18, Jesus is with, before, in front of Pilate. He says to him, my kingdom is not of this world. And in John 18, this is page 1,161. 1,161, John 18, I'm going to start in verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king, for this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
fact, Jesus understood there was an absolute truth. He believed in absolute truth. And it was fundamentally true that the absolute truth was him. Everyone who is, on, who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him famously, or maybe infamously, what is truth? In our world, especially in our world, uh, this question permeates our conventional wisdom, whether we've ever, ever realized it or not. But there is absolute truth. There are universally unchanging and unchangeable facts and realities that apply to all. And, and though that's mocked by some, it doesn't make it any less true, you see. If there is no such thing as truth that's absolute, then I would contend to you that there is no such thing as a lie. And no such thing as fake news. Of course, we understand there are lies and there is fake news. So what is the absolute unchangeable truth of God? We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about truth today, but I want to specifically talk about how truth relates to one another. So if you open your Bibles, I hope that they are open already, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to open your Bibles, but I, I don't just want you to open your Bibles. I want you to open your hearts to the ancient words that are ever true. Now, Paul, in the context of this, has just laid out this great depth of theology from Ephesians. And now in chapter 4, 5, and 6, he begins, begins to get really practical, practically practical, you might say. He, he, he delves into what the truth looks like when it's put into practice. In chapter 4, he says, he begins by talking about the importance of unity within the body of Christ. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. And he continues to use this illustration of the body and how it's important that we all maintain together. And then he talks about the roles within the body in verses 11 and 12. The apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and shepherds and teachers and their jobs, which was to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And he says, if we do this, we'll, we'll mature, we'll grow until we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And why is that important? And this is where we delve in a little bit more this morning. It's verse 15. Or, I'm sorry, verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up into him who is the head, is Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which, is it with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. First, we must earnestly, and, and this is for, this is for Christ-following people, okay? This is not for the world. This won't apply. It won't even make sense. The first thing we have to be diligent about doing as people of Christ is to make sure that we earnestly seek the truth. Truth is not a relative thing. It doesn't depend on how you feel. There, there's not a your truth and a my truth. 
This is how the world attempts to disarm the truth of the gospel by saying, well, that's, that's what your truth is. But that's not what my truth is. I mean, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. Well, that, that seems to sound good. But, but can you imagine trying to make that work in any area of life? I mean, go to the grocery store and, and, and buy some tomatoes. And, and when you get to the register, you say, I want to pay for these according to my truth and how much I think these should cost. And in the register, you can, you can ring up your truth and you can ring that up, but I'll have my truth. That wouldn't work, would it? If you were building a house, would you, would you ask the contractor to build it according to his truth? Look, if, if you want to call a foot 11 inches, that's, that's your truth. I mean, I could, that's not my truth. How could I dare impose my truth on your truth? How would that work? It wouldn't. We have to have some, some universal standards. So there is a truth, and these are just non-spiritual things, of course, but simple examples that no one wants your truth and my truth and relative truth in any other area of life except when it comes to the most important things. And that's dangerous. Truth is also not the majority opinion. If, if God says it's right, then it's always right. Even if the re- entire world rejects it. If God says it's wrong, it's still wrong even if the entire world supports it. Truth is not the majority opinion. Truth is also not always what you want to hear. Truth lives outside our own biases and our own echo chambers. That's the world we live in right now. You, you scroll on social media, social media is set up to show you what you already interact with. So if you believe one viewpoint and you click on that and you read that and you watch that video, they're going to show you more of that. And all that does is put you in a, in a nice little silo where you live surrounded by voices that only echo what you already believe. Truth lives outside of our own biases and our own echo chambers. This is the challenge of a preacher every single week. I've got to open the ancient words which are ever true, and I've got to study them and think about them and and, and try to, as best I can, get myself out of it. And instead, align myself with the truth and not try to align the truth with me. It's easy to do. You can find a scriptural support for almost anything. I read a story this week, in fact, of the governor in California who's putting up billboards all around the city and state saying, uh, you can get your abortion You can come to California to do it. And and at the bottom of that billboard is a is a verse of scripture. That you shall love your neighbor as yourself. My my point in that is not to, to make a political point. My point is to say there's an example 
of someone taking Scripture and aligning it to them. Making it, making it fit what I like and what I want and what I believe. And that's the wrong way to approach Scripture. And so we allow the ancient words to change us, to mold us, to change us, to bring us to repentance, to lead us to an awareness of sin. And, and to point us mostly, this is what the truth of the gospel does, it points us to Jesus. Remember what he said about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's, that's very exclusive, don't you see? And when Jesus laid down that statement, he was saying, I'm either right, <laughs> as C.S. Lewis said, I'm liar, lunatic, or Lord. Can't be any other way. So, so the truth is the truth, and we must align ourselves to it. God's word is the absolute truth. Jesus would later say in praying in the garden in John chapter 17, if you want to turn there, he asked them, and he was praying over his disciples, he said, sanctify them in the truth. Now, first of all, he said the truth. He didn't say sanctify them in a truth. He said sanctify them in the truth. Then he said, your word is truth. Now, when I read John 17, 17, I typically think of your word, and that's true, but, but think a little deeper here. John referred to Jesus as the word. In John chapter 1, he said, in the beginning is the word. It's, it's not just words on a page, it's the Messiah himself, the living word of God, and it's the truth. It's why it's really important to study it to read it, to meditate on it, to discuss it with your families, to live by it. I don't know how many of you have taken advantage of the Bible reading plan that we've had this whole year. We've still, actually, I know it's October, but <laughs> we still have a few calendars left in the foyer. But every day you have an opportunity to read some Old Testament, to read some New Testament, to read from Psalms and Proverbs. There's a reason that that matters so much. Because what you're doing in, in reading it is more than just reading it. And it's more than just knowing words on the page. It's, it's getting to understand the heart of the author. So we, we need to seek the truth. We need to live by the truth. May you seek out what God says. Because what everyone else says matters very little. In eternity, it is the words of God that will judge me and you. It's the truth that we need to know. It's the truth that leads us to Christ. It's the truth that is Christ. So may we seek what's true. When you think a thought, when you hear someone say, when you read an article, when you watch a video, when you scroll past it, may you then ask one question. It's this. Is this true? Not do you like it. Not do you agree with it, not do you believe it, not is it popular, but is this true? Because this will be, lead us to understand that you can't believe everything you think. You can't believe everything you read or watch or hear. You have to ask yourself continually, is this true? May you be like the Bereans. I know 
We're the Northsiders, but I want to point you to another group of Christians in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, Paul and Silas are going to on, on mission work. They're in Thessalonica first, then in Berea. Page 1188 is where we're going. Acts chapter 17 is where we are. Verse 11 is where we're going to land. Luke, in writing to, to Theophilus, says, Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. He's talking about the Berean Jews. He says, They received the word with all eagerness. They were of more noble character. Oops, sorry. Um, they, with great eagerness, and they examined the Scriptures every day to see if these things were true. I hope that you have your Bibles open this morning. Because, not just because I want you to follow me, but I want you to have that Berean spirit, which says, I don't care if Toby says it. I want to know is that true? You need to ask yourself in all things, even in church, is that true? Now, if you're committed to seeking the truth, then you, you have to take the next step, which is a much harder step. And it's this. You've got to speak what's true. You have to speak what's true. Now, this sounds good. Everybody wants a preacher to preach the truth. Until the preacher preaches the truth that sort of steps on your toes. Until the preacher preaches the truth that you don't really like. Until the preacher preaches the truth that, that cuts into you. Jesus spoke the truth. Every word he ever said was always true. You never had to guess with Jesus. He always spoke the truth. Not his truth, not a truth, but the truth. And, and when he spoke the truth, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't soften it to make it more palatable. In John chapter 6, there's a story of Jesus talking about taking upon eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And they don't fully understand what all this means. And it says many people left him. And in John chapter 6, verse 60, it, it says how they reply, responded to Jesus' preaching. And it was this. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? This is a hard saying. Verse 66 says that many of the disciples, many of the students of Jesus, left Jesus because the truth that he spoke was too hard for them to hear. So when you're speaking the truth, you need to understand that will not always make you popular. But I'm convinced whether it was his cousin John, his disciple Peter, his respected Nicodemus, or a, one, a sinful woman caught in the act of adultery... Jesus never stopped speaking the truth. And so may we be like Jesus in that regard. May we be truthful with God. May we be truthful with ourselves and with other people. Turn to the book of Colossians chapter 3. Paul writing to the church at Colossae writes about a 
new, the, the living in the new way, living with your new self. And in verses 9 and 10, which is on the screen for you, Paul writes, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. May we all be truthful. You want your preacher to be truthful. The preacher wants the people to be truthful. Now, it's, it's really important that we're truthful and that we speak the truth consistently. But there's one other part to it that, that's tied together. And if you get one without the other, you're going to mess it up. May we not just speak the truth, and we also speak the truth in love. You see, Jesus spoke the truth. He didn't speak the truth to offend people. He didn't speak the truth to push people away. He didn't speak the truth because he was upset at anybody. He spoke the truth because he loved them. He spoke the truth because he... He he wanted what was best for them, eternally so. You see, love and truth go together. 1 Corinthians 13 says, One of the attributes of love is that it rejoices with the truth. There are some who teach all love. Love, 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 love. Love will fix everything. But they ignore the attribute of love that rejoices with what's true. We call this sloppy agape. Okay? All love and no truth to it. Just all love. But that, that's not loving. That's niceness. But that's not love. Other people, other, others teach all truth. And, and I mean, you've seen preachers on YouTube that just... Beat and browbeat people with this book again and again. And truth, 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 truth. But there is no love. They truly don't care for the people they're preaching to. They're just trying to get more views on YouTube. Or just trying to get more people to hear the outlandish things they say. But they teach all truth without any love. We call them Pharisees. Some people are like this too. On the, on the personality spectrum, we go from Fred Phelps at one end to Fred Rogers on the other. Now the truth is, we don't want either of these two. We want people and churches to preach the truth and teach the truth with love. So may you always speak the truth and may you always do so in love. Do you have the courage to always speak the truth? Over 20 years ago, an older lady told me, a very young minister at the time, she said, you got to be careful about telling the truth. That got my attention. She said, "If if you speak the truth all the time, you just watch how long it takes for you to get in trouble. And I thought, that's silly. Maybe in the world, but not in the church. But 
but I've preached some sermons sometimes. That I did my dead-level best to give the truth, and somebody didn't like it and tapped an elder on his shoulder and said, "You you need to rein that in. And that elder taps the preacher on the shoulder. And then the next time the preacher goes to study, he says, well, I know that's true, but I can't really say that. That we always speak the truth. That we always do so with love. May you have the courage to speak what's true. May you have the heart to do so in love. Why do you speak the truth? To prove a point? To prove you're right? To fill your pride? Or do you speak the courage because you love people? To speak the truth because you love people. Truth is hard to hear. There is a better way to say it, and that is in love. Proverbs 15 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, so it's important to say true words in a loving way. That's one thing I've had to learn. Sometimes I've got to say what's true, but to do so in a loving way. And both of these things are true. One of the best elders I ever knew was a guy named Ben Pagenkoff. Ben Pagenkoff has gone on to his reward. But I always called Ben Gentle Ben. And I do not mean that Ben was weak. I mean that Ben was gentle. And when young, brash, arrogant, bold, (laughs) young minister of 21 years old made a few wrong calls, Ben would gently come to that minister's office and he spoke the truth in love. The way he did it matters as much as what he came to say. So may we speak the truth, and may we never compromise the truth, but may we also never compromise how we speak what's true. And so may we individually, collectively, as a church, speak the truth in love. Let me give you some practical tips, and then we'll close. Number one. If you have a hard thing to say to someone you love, I hope that you will give thought and prayer to your words. I hope you know that when I prepare for a message, one of the, the last but most important things I do is spend some time in my office after the sermon's done, after it's ready to go, and I pray that I speak God's truth in love. I don't want to take his words and make them my words. I want to take my words and give them to him and make them his words so that his people hear his truth. But it, that's surrounded with thought and prayer. And to do so with wisdom requires that we give thought and prayers to our words. Number two, remember the real enemy. Ephesians chapter 6 says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes when you have a rub with somebody 
and you can't seem to get past it. The enemy has a real effective way of saying, well, you are clearly in the right here. You are clearly in the right. They are clearly in the wrong. They are, they are of the devil. They're the enemy. And Ephesians 6 reminds us that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is in the spiritual realm. And the enemy will take many forms. So remember the real enemy. Number three, speaking the truth in love, I'm convinced is always done better in person. I write better than I speak. Writing is effective for me because it organizes my thoughts. And so I understand when you have something to say to somebody, it's real easy to get out your phone and type it out. Have you ever got one of those, like it's a six and a half page text message? Okay, first of all, people stop reading, really reading at about line three. Second of all, they don't read that in the voice that you sent it. They read it in the voice that they are in. And so if you're in a good mood, but you need to share a hard truth with somebody and you text it to them and they're just finishing the worst day they've ever had in their life and they read that, they're reading it in their mood, not in the mood that that you sent it. And things can be misread. Tone, eye contact, voice intonation, hand gestures, all of that is is the important part of nonverbal. So I, I get that it's easier to write it out. There's some people who, who write letters professionally, write things professionally, but that's not the best way to communicate hard things. The best way to do it is face-to-face. If your brother has something against you, go to him. Go to him. Go to him. See, computer screens and phone screens, they make us much more courageous. You ever watch people argue on social media? And you're like, wow, my uncle, he never talks like that in person. But he is just ripping my friend from high school all to shreds. You're enjoying some popcorn and you're watching this whole thing play out. Why is it that people are so different behind a screen than they are in person? It's because this covers them. Now, I've had people write me some scathing letters, emails, and text messages, and I often will not reply. I will go meet with them. Do you know why? Because it's a lot harder to look into a man's eyes and say things of someone who's been made in the image of God. It's a lot harder to do that. For you, sharing something that's hard face-to-face is best. It beats hearing your voice. It beats a text or an email. And it certainly beats a social media post. Face-to-face is best. When you can do that, do that. But speak the truth in love. We're going to talk about the story of Paul confronting Peter tonight for Sunday night study. It says in there, I clearly opposed Peter to his face. Number four, and if you didn't get this already, hopefully you'll get it by now. Be loving. 
Think about the manner as well as the message. That's really important. The manner as well as the message. Ask yourself when you go to talk to someone, do they hear patience and kindness? Do they hear arrogance or rudeness? Do they, do they hear something that rejoices with the truth or rather rejoices at wrongdoing? Ask yourself, is this heard in a loving way? So think about the manner as well as the message. Second, if you're on the receiving end, if somebody comes to you this week and, and says, you know, brother, Toby said speak the truth in love, so I'm here to speak the truth in love. You're like, oh, man. Okay, if you've got to be on the receiving end of some hard truth, may I give you some gentle wisdom. James 1.19, first. James 1.19 says, Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Especially if someone comes to you face to face. For them to do that took courage. For them to come talk to you face to face took courage. They could have stayed silent. They could have gossiped to you about, about you to other people. But they came to you face to face. So if they've got something hard to say... Maybe you have an opportunity. Maybe God's giving you something that you need. So close your mouth. Stop thinking about how you're going to reply when they're all done talking. And just open your ears. And open your heart. Listen to it. Get it let them get it all out of their system. When they're done, do your best to repeat back to them what they said to you. Okay, so if I heard you correctly, what you're saying is, I make too many Chick-fil-A references on Sunday. Yes, way too many. That's far too, yes, that's exactly right. Now, what will happen is kind of funny. If you repeat back to them what they said, they'll say, yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. That's exactly right. And sometimes they'll say, no, I don't. They'll they'll start backtracking. They'll apologize a little bit. Now, brother, I like Chick-fil-A as much as the next guy. But just, it's a little much. And so when you can come to an understanding, then you should thank them for their courage. Thank you for being bold enough to come and to share. Then here's the second part. Learn from it. Grow from it. Grow wiser because of it. Maybe you need to repent. Maybe you need to make some changes. That's what we call, as Paul would call it, maturity. That's how we grow better as Christians. That's not always easy to do. All right. I hope those things have been helpful for you. May we be a people who speak the truth in love to one another. And here's why that matters. In John chapter 8, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Only Jesus can set you free spiritually. Only the truth of his word can set you free. This morning, if you need to be set free from your sin, or maybe you've got something with someone else that you need to make right, I want to challenge you to do that this morning, today. Don't let any more time pass. But but prayerfully, thoughtfully, knowing who the real enemy is, speak the truth in love and with great courage. 
And if you need to come to Christ, if you need to be forgiven of sin, uh, we would love to help you do that as well this morning. Whatever your need might be, you have an opportunity now. We have an open invitation for folks to reply to the, respond to the gospel invitation of Jesus. Here's how we do that at Northside. Our shepherds are going to be at the back. We're going to sing a song in just a minute. And if you'd like to respond to the gospel invitation to repent of sin, to be baptized into Christ, uh, they would, our shepherds would be happy to show you how to do that. If you need to study with them, that's fine too. But if you need to respond in that way, if you need the prayers of this congregation or our shepherds, we'll be glad to help you with that as well. Whatever your need might be, uh, won't you come, head straight to the back at this next song as together we stand and sing.